Good morning. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7? <clears throat> I have a very uh, basic message this morning, but sometimes I think if we don't hear these things that we take for granted, we forget them. Or if we don't forget them, they fall to the back burner. And I'd like to keep that from happening this morning. Matthew chapter 7. This is the very ending of the longest sermon of Jesus that we have on record. And I was reading an article this week that our messages or our sermons today, to be truly biblical, should not be longer than any message that Jesus preached. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, can be read in 12 and a half minutes. So I've got some ground to cover quickly here. I heard a discussion recently also that Jesus could have lived like you and I do and said, the world around can see the way I live. That's my testimony. That is the way I spread the gospel. They can see my life. <clears throat> I'm glad Jesus didn't simply live that way. He did live that way, but his words were, were important, what he had to say and what he shared. Matthew 7, I'll begin reading at verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Just follow along with me as I read this. Matthew 7:13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, who built his house upon a rock, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And that's the end of Jesus' sermon. But there's two more verses. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I like that last verse. And I wonder what all that means. Jesus taught them, or they were, the second last verse says they were astonished at his doctrine. 
So what, not only what he was teaching, it was totally different than anything anybody had heard up to this point. David Berceau wrote a book called The Kingdom That Turned the World Upside Down and that's what the kingdom of heaven is. That's what the doctrine Jesus was teaching was. It, was, it defies logic. It's, it's different. Why would I love my enemies? Things like that. But then it says, he spoke as one having authority and not as the scribes. So this is a bit of an indicator as to the spiritual teaching that they were having at this time. And I wonder what what that looked like, what the teaching of the scribes or the Pharisees or the, their spiritual leaders, what that teaching looked like. I'm guessing it was teaching without conviction. It was maybe a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do type of teaching. But it was laying it out, here it is, do with it whatever you want. But Jesus preached with authority and not as the scribes. I've broken this message into three parts. In Matthew 7 here, in what I read, we're we're presented with several contrasts by which we will make unavoidable decisions. And by not making a decision, you are making one. So there's three contrasts. We'll look at the two ways, the two fruits, and the two foundations. And they are all connected. The two ways, the two fruits, and the two foundations. First we'll look at the two ways. God has given man, He has always given man a choice to choose good or evil. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were presented with a choice. You can eat every tree, eat from every tree in the garden except this one. You choose not to, and that would, that would be good. So we're always given the choice between good and evil. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. They're given a choice, life or death. Jeremiah 21.8 And unto this people thou shalt say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. And in these only these two passages alone, and there's a lot more, it's inferred that if you choose obedience and righteousness, that life goes with that. Spiritual life, probably as well as physical life. If you choose sin and disobedience, it brings death. It's you have a choice, one or the other. So Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. <clears throat> Enter. I want to be careful not to pick the text apart too much and read more into it than what it is. I don't see the word enter here as a command where Jesus is saying, enter in at the gate. He's saying, if you're going to enter, here's where you enter. He doesn't, he doesn't force salvation on anybody. But he's saying, if you want life, this is where you need to enter. There are probably hundreds, maybe thousands of choices of religions in the world today. You can find pretty much anything you want. 
hundreds or thousands of choices of religions. But these hundreds of religions fall into only two categories. True religion and false religion. It's that simple. Those who are truly and evidently surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus are the true religion. We know that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus says, I am the only way. So if you have surrendered to the Lordship truly and evidently, where people can see it in your life, those two things are important. You are following the way of true religion. Everything else is false religion. And you may say, well, that's pretty exclusive. It is. It is. Truth is exclusive. It's either true or it's not true. Truth is, it has to be exclusive. God is a holy God. And holiness, by its very definition, is exclusive. Holiness means cut off and set aside. It means separate. It's excluded. So truth, the the true religion is an exclusive religion that is open to everyone. Somewhere in New Hampshire, I don't know where, close to the town of Bristol, there is a road and it, as it goes, it divides and it goes around a large forest or a, some acreage. I'm not sure how big, but the road splits, goes around and comes together right at the entrance of the town of Bristol. And there's a sign, a road sign, right where the road split and it says, to Bristol, both ways. Either one. You can take your pick. There are two ways you can choose from this morning. And you may not like this, but they're both labeled heaven. There's a narrow way and there's a broad way and mankind has labeled both of them heaven. One leads to heaven, the other does not. The reason I say they're both labeled heaven is one will take you there. That is the truth. The reason I say the other one is labeled heaven is no religion in the world except maybe Satan worshippers of some kind are selling tickets to hell. They all will tell you if you do this and this and this you'll get to heaven or a good place. I don't know if they call it heaven necessarily but it's a good place. If you do this and this and this you'll get there. Nobody's selling tickets to hell. That's one reason. The other reason is a little further on we read about false prophets that come in and they try to deceive people and they try to to deceive people and pull them off of that narrow path. And unless there's a contrast, a huge contrast between the good and the evil, there's no reason to be a false prophet. A false prophet will try to bring that good and that evil as close together in order to deceive people and bring you from one to the other. If there's that huge contrast, you can forget the false part. Just go and tell them who you are and try to take them. So both of these paths are labeled heaven. The world would have you believe, even people that claim Christianity would have you believe, the path they are on will get you to heaven. The narrow gate and the narrow way. I was 
I, I knew this, but I was impressed. The gate is, it says the straight gate. And what it means is it's, it's narrow or, or actually it means it's compressed. It's, it's a narrow way. The straight gate, the gate is narrow. So the opening into this way is narrow, but the way is also narrow. That's something we can't forget. We can understand coming to the gate and having to, to get rid of all our baggage, lay it, at the, lay it at the cross, and then we can go through the gate. We can understand that. But once you're on the other side, the way is narrow. You can't pick this stuff back up. The gate is narrow and the way is narrow. In the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus tells us that if we're going to follow him, we need to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Those three Gospels all say that. So what I picture this gate is a narrow gate the shape of a man carrying a cross. That's the only thing you can take through this gate. That's the only thing that will fit is a man, a person, carrying his cross. The only people that can enter the gate is those willing to relinquish, to give up, lay down, Everything that pertains to this life, hopes, ambitions, possessions, dreams, plans, lay them all at the feet of Jesus because beyond that narrow gate is a narrow path. So I picture a gate, small enough, narrow enough for one person at a time to go through carrying their cross. On the other side of this gate, I picture a path, a narrow way, a hard way. It doesn't have comforts. It has promises, but it doesn't have comfort. A narrow path with cliffs leading down to a broad, wide plain on either side full of milling people. A narrow path Many will find it, but there are few willing to get to the place where they're willing to pass through it. I think there's several reasons why someone would not want to pass through this narrow gate. Putting myself on the other side, not having passed through. There are things maybe that I'd be unwilling to give up. Things in my life I enjoy too much that I know I would need to give up to lay down in order to go through. Unwilling to risk the possibilities on the other side. You've passed through that gate by faith. Unwilling to trust the guide on the narrow path beyond. And this one is probably maybe the biggest problem that people face in their willingness or unwillingness to pass through that narrow gate is viewing the narrow gate and the narrow way on the other side as restrictions rather than freedom and protection. I have to give up this, I have to give up this, I have to give up this, and I'm so restricted. Rather than seeing that narrow way as freedom and protection and feeling the love of God and the guidance of God and the promises of God, knowing that it leads, that's the only path that leads to life and the freedom of walking in the will of God. Luke 13, 24 gives 
sheds a, a little bit different light on this. It says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. It's going to be difficult. Work at it. Work hard to enter in. This is where you need to enter. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Many people want to enter into this straight gate, but they're not able for one reason or another. There's security to be found on the other side of that gate, of the, of the straight gate, the narrow gate. Security to be found there. And people like the idea of peace. People like the idea of security. And both are found on the other side of the narrow gate. But they're unwilling to pay the price. In the next chapter, in Matthew 8, some followers came to Jesus, two of his followers. It says one was a scribe and one was one of his followers, it said. Came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus gives two warnings to consider before you follow me through this narrow gate. The same account in Luke gives three things. It says there were three people that came and he gives three warnings. Or th- I don't know if warnings is the word, but three things to consider. Three, dr- three things that you may not want to follow through with. To consider before you follow through with this. Possible excuses for not entering the narrow gate. Luke 9:58 Jesus said unto him someone came and said I'll follow you wherever you go and Jesus said unto him foxes have holes birds of the air have nests but the son of man hath not where to lay his head The narrow way does not promise comfort Jesus said I have nothing I don't have possessions I'm going when you come through this narrow gate and follow the narrow way be ready for discomfort The next verse, and he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But thou, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another thing that people face is delay. They see the gate. They come to the narrow gate and they're faced with the choice. I'm already on the broad way. I see the narrow gate. I see where I need to lay everything down. But I have this to do first. I want to do this first. I want to do this first. And we delay and delay and delay. That will not always work. The next one, and Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. There are distractions. Even when you're on that narrow path, you get through the, you, you accept Christ. You lay everything down. You claim the lordship of Jesus. I, I hesitate to even say you claim it. I get nervous when people say, I claim this promise. It's, that's good. But you need to live it. It's not a matter of just claiming it. You have, to, you have to live the promises of God when you're on that narrow path. But you get through, you're walking the narrow way. And do you remember how I described that narrow path? It's a, it's, it's a path with dangerous cliffs on both sides leading down to a plain, a broad plain on both sides of people just milling and purposelessly milling, milling around on the broad way. And there looks like there's comfort there. There looks like there's ease there. There looks like they're having fun. There's distractions there. We are so easily distracted. 
I was thinking this morning about the lesson of walking with God and I was illustrating things in my mind of uh, maybe, maybe my son, one of my sons and I walking up the aisle, walking. What I picture walking with God is me with my arm around, your arm around somebody and you're walking and you're talking and you're agreeing and, and as, as God leads you, that's what I picture walking with God. Pretty often, or too often, what it actually is like is if, if I would be walking up and my son would be darting around uh, talking to friends on the way up and maybe sitting down and playing with his Legos and I'm motioning, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming and my son is still there playing and then he gets up and he'll come up and he'll maybe put his arm around me for a little bit and then he catches something off, off to the side and Too often, that's what our walking with God is pictured like. There's distractions. No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So there's discomfort promised on the narrow path. Delay is an excuse. And distraction is a danger. But until you enter that straight gate, that narrow way, you cannot experience that inner peace and freedom. Freedom from the bondage of sin leaving our baggage behind when we enter that gate, and that includes the baggage of sin. We're freed from the downward spiral of the Broadway. The Broadway has ease. Broadway has comfort. The Broadway has temporal enjoyment. But it is totally void of holiness. In Matthew 19, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him, you keep the commandments. And then he listed them. And the rich young ruler said, I've done this ever since I was a youth. He'd fit in at this church. And then Jesus said, one thing you lack. He said, go, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it. He walked away. He couldn't do it. What would you have done? Jesus came to you and he said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. What would you have done? What would you do? Does the cost, is there a cost in following Jesus on the narrow way? Did it cost you anything? The other gate you can choose from is the broad gate or the broad way. It's easy to find, easy to enter. doesn't seem to cost you anything. It appears to be the comfortable way with no change required on your part. No matter what that broad way is labeled, it leads to hell. So we've been presented with a choice. A wide, easy to find gate Or a narrow gate. A broad, smooth, easy to find way. Or a narrow way. I'm thankful many of you today have chosen that narrow gate, that narrow way that leads to life. Now, 
follow me closely here because there's a trap that I've seen people fall into. And that is the desire to remodel that gate, remodel the narrow gate, and put at least put wide shoulders on the narrow way. We all have the desire to see people enter the kingdom of God. We all want people to accept Christ and to walk that narrow way. If you agree with me, raise your hand. We do. We want people to. So why not make it more accessible? It's, it's difficult. It's hard. They would have so much to change. These people from the world have so much to change if they want to walk the narrow way. So why not make it a little more accessible? And so we think about remodeling that gate or put a shoulder on the road, a wide shoulder. People have tried to reduce or to minimize this gap between the holiness of God that's required on the narrow way and the sinfulness of man. Making it so that someone can be a good Christian without having to change much. The problem with this is when we do this, when we try to reduce or do away with this gap between the narrow way and the sinfulness of man, we are either ignoring the holiness of God or we're diluting the sinfulness of man. And there are some things that cannot be tampered with. Sin is sin. God hates sin. God is holy. You can't change those things. So the greater the sin, the greater the change that needs to take place. I guess my caution is, let's be careful not to remodel the gate. There's one gate and God has set the standard on the size of that gate. There's one narrow path and God has set the standard on the size of that path. I still encourage us, let's be as helpful as we can in leading people to that gate and to that path and helping them through that gate. There's, that's a good thing. But to change the size of the gate and to change the width of the path is nothing more than making it the broad way. Verse 15. We'll look at the two fruits. Beware of false prophets which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not Fourth, good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. We're cautioned here. Beware of those who would try to deceive us into leaving that narrow way. They come to us as sheep. Someone harmless. Someone may be in need of help. Verse 15 says, Inwardly they are ravening wolves. And you think, well, I would recognize that. I don't believe that everyone who comes to us as a false prophet has the intent of dragging you directly to hell. 
I don't think that's their intent. A false prophet will not bring you down in one huge fall, but rather in small steps. A false prophet will do things like whittling away at the foundation of doctrine. And maybe not in so many words, but saying, Hath God said? Hath God said? Is this really what he means? Maybe they use terms like, It was a cultural thing. Hath God said, raising doubts in our minds, stir up followings based on half-truths, what they say might be true, but it's not the whole truth. And they come in many forms. It's not necessarily a person standing in front of you in a Sunday school class or on a Wednesday evening topic or a Sunday morning. It could be, but it's not always. It comes in the forms of, of articles that you read, books that you read, popular authors that we read. Beware of false prophets. But Jesus does give us a good way to recognize them. He says, by their fruits, you will know them. And basically, you don't get bad fruit from a good tree. You don't get good fruit from a bad tree. Therefore, by, by their actions, by what they speak, by what they say, you will know them, you will recognize them. The truth they share might be a half-truth. The teaching might make sense, logical sense, but does it line up with the Bible? Does it align with the teaching of Jesus? Jesus gave us a kingdom that defies logic. Things like, thou shalt not kill actually means thou shalt not murder. And there's a difference between murdering and killing. I've heard that argument. It's a justification for just war it's a half truth in Galatians the church was faced with some false teachers and Paul said I'm surprised that you so quickly fell away and then he said he condemns and he said cursed is anyone who shares with you any other gospel any other gospel than what we have taught you there's another group here that are not false prophets, but they're potentially just as dangerous to us as false prophets. Looking at verse 21 here in Matthew 7. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and, thy, and in thy name have cast out devils and, the, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is a different group, but they are just potentially as dangerous to us. They are a group that believe in Jesus, but don't follow him. They are the ones who see the broad gate, see the sign heaven above it, and go down there because it's easy, it's comfortable, and it doesn't require them to lose or lay down anything. They use phrases like, God wants us to be happy as a trump for anything. God wants us to be happy. God loves me and he wants me to be happy. And so therefore it overrides any, anything that they're doing that goes against what scripture says. They're busy with good, good things. 
and use that as currency in the kingdom of God. They claim to believe Jesus, but don't follow him. And these things might be good. But if they have not entered through the narrow gate, and if they are not walking the narrow way, Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. We have two ways to choose from. There are two fruits. And now there are two foundations. Jesus finishes up this sermon by giving another choice. Verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, those two phrases are important. You can't just have the one. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So you have an option of building on the rock or building on sand, which is maybe not the best illustration for northern Wisconsin where everything is sand and we actually haul sand in in order to build a house on it. But, but the, the thought here is a solid foundation, not something that will be washed away in the floods. When I read about the rains coming and the winds blowing and the storms beating on the house, I immediately thought of sickness, difficult times in life that you face. And you probably did too, and that's part of it. But there's another part of the storms and the wind that to me is every bit maybe more important. The Bible talks about every wind of doctrine. And this, I think, is where these false teachers come in. There are things. And I, I have to think, maybe this is what Jesus was talking about. Not just difficult times in life, but the false doctrine or teachings or things that are going to shake the foundation of what your belief is in Christ. And the reason I say that is this. He says, He built His house upon a rock. That rock, I believe... He mentioned earlier, he said, whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. These sayings of mine, I think, are the rock that Jesus is talking about. These sayings of mine. If you build your house, build your life on that foundation, the winds of doctrine, the winds of pressures, the winds of distractions can come and you will stay on that rock. You will stay because, it says, he was founded upon a rock or he was founded upon these sayings of mine. The rock are the sayings of Jesus. So it says when you hear the sayings of mine and do them, that is building your foundation on the rock. The foundation and the rock are these sayings of mine, of Jesus. What does a life look like that is built on a rock or on that foundation? on these sayings of Jesus. It's someone that hears and applies Scripture. 
Someone that hears and follows the prompts of the Holy Spirit. Someone that hears and values the input of the brotherhood. Someone who can withstand the storms of life and not just the physical storms or the relationship storms, although that it will help with that, but will withstand the storms of the winds of doctrine, the teachings, you'll be able to weigh the teachings. Is it true? Is it not true? Because you have heard the sayings of Jesus and you're doing them. The other option is to build a house on the sand. A loose, shifting foundation that when these storms come, these same storms come, it will wash away that foundation because you are not building on these sayings of mine, these sayings of Jesus as the rock. The house might look the same. Both of these houses might look the same on the outside. The difference is the foundation. One was built on these sayings of mine, the other is not. In conclusion here, I have three challenges for you. Remember the gate is narrow and the way is narrow. Not just one or the other. The gate is narrow and the way is narrow. Be alert for false prophets who would steer you off of that narrow way. And the way we do that is building my life on these sayings of Jesus. These sayings of mine. Building, having our foundation on the rock that we can weather the storms that come along on the narrow way. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word. I pray that you'll be with us as we walk with you. Keep us from distraction. Help us to remember the gate is narrow, the way is narrow, and help us to live accordingly, not attempting to remodel that gate and broaden the way. Pray that you will bless each one here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.